Well, first of all, I want to uh, express my gratitude to everyone who was very encouraging this morning after you found out that I was uh, preaching. Um, so hopefully, I can encourage you after you've heard the things that I've said. Amen. Okay, so uh, uh, we have, uh, as a church, uh, been studying out uh, how to um, go through our transformations, right? How, how to become uh, more, uh, I guess, you know, faithful as a people, uh, how to be uh, maybe more present in our relationship with God. So we have this term called Become More in 24, and uh, my part of this uh, kind of series is godliness. And I have to tell you that godliness, uh, at least to me, is very intimidating to talk about uh, because I think uh, I personally just feel the pressure of uh, defining it, of, you know, like making sure that uh, it's something that um, kind of conforms to what God wants me to say, okay? So at the beginning of this year, I actually started this book called The Practice of Godliness. And so when uh, Marcel, you know, had sent out a text with uh, the different people who would be uh, giving the lessons, I thought, oh, okay, I can just copy the book, right? And, uh, you know, I can uh, do what it does, right? Which is, you know, it defines it, gives you a few examples, and I thought, cool, I got a plan. Okay, so fast forward to a couple of weeks ago, I sat down with some friends, I tried out the ideas for the lesson. And I think uh, the... Well, they, you know, they look very confused, like, what are you trying to say? What is, you know, what is the point? And I walked away from that thinking, okay, well, uh, that's not a good plan. Yeah, because I definitely don't want to confuse people. And so uh, I prayed about it, uh, angrily, I would say, you know, just frustrated that uh, that was not as clear to them as it was to me. Okay, so what you're going to hear this morning is, I think, the Spirit's prompting of me changing my mind about uh, this concept of godliness. And, and really, what the Spirit told me was, okay, have you ever considered looking at this from Peter's perspective? What is he really trying to tell us in the Scripture when he talks about this? Okay, so that's what we're going to be uh, reviewing. Okay, first... Let's go through uh, 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 3, right? And, and we'll go through uh, verse 3 through 9. So I'll read it. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. These words are really, really rich in detail, I think. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, but whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. 
Okay, so in order for us, in order for me to understand what's in the mind of Peter, I think it's very important, it was important for me, uh, to consider what Peter's worldview was. So basically, what was his idea of God? What was his interpretation of God's people as they practiced godliness, right? So for that, we'd go to the Old Testament, because I do think that Peter was influenced by scripture and also by teachings and by the way that people lived their life out, okay? Now, uh, I have to warn you that you'll probably see a lot of scriptures. Not every one of these is going to be, we're not going to read all of them, we're not going to explain all of them. I just want you to, to see here that this is his worldview. And when I started to uh, look at all of the different variations, the ways that, um, you know, the, the concept of godliness appeared through the Old Testament, these three stuck out. And I think they stuck out because I really think that Peter uh, was influenced by these. Okay, so the first one, and it's also important to note that uh, in different versions of the Bible, there are different words that are used. So in the English Standard Version, the word godly is used. In the New International Version, the word faithful is used. Okay, so you know the first one talks about uh, God being able to save the godly. Uh, the second one, it talks about, um, you know, God setting, uh, setting apart his, his people, uh, people of faith, people of godliness. So in the Old Testament, uh, godliness wasn't necessarily something that you did. Godliness was more of like a community identity. Like we are a people of God. Not that, you know, like Peter was godly and his friends were not godly. Does that make sense? Uh, because it was really associated to your faith in God. Okay, the third one I think is really, really uh, very significant. Uh, it, it talks about, you know, the godly who are saved... Uh, even when a rush of great waters uh, confronts them, right? So you can think through, you know, some of the incidents in Peter's life where he could be thinking about this. I'll make it much more clear as we go on. Okay, so let's see who Peter was. A lot of us, you know, see Peter as um, someone who was rash, Right? someone who was impulsive, someone who did things before he uh, thought them through. I can relate to that. Uh, you know, when, when Simon, uh, and his, his name was Simon, when, when Simon meets Jesus, uh, he owned a fishing business, right? So he was an entrepreneur. Uh, and he had partners in the business who trusted him, right? So he at least was the president or the CEO of this fishing, you know, uh, venture, right? Uh, he had very, very close relationships. People followed him, right? Uh, he was a family man. He was very close to his uh, wife's family. We know this because Jesus, prior to meeting Peter, 
uh, on you know the shores of Zebedee, uh, on the shores of uh, Galilee. Uh, he goes to Peter's home and he heals his mother-in-law. So we know that you know Peter is um, uh, he cares a lot about his family. Uh, when Peter follows Jesus, uh, there are some things that only happen to Peter. I don't know if you uh, you you know like. Uh, know that like when he sees the transfiguration, even though he's joined by others, he's the only one that asks, you know, to pitch a tent, right? Uh, he's uh, recognized, he's the only one who recognized Jesus as the Messiah. He's the only one who rebukes Jesus. He's the only one who denied Jesus. He's the only one who walked on water. And he's the only one who sliced someone's ear off, right? There, actually, there are many other things that Peter did, that only Peter did. Okay, so, uh, why, why, you know, am I bringing all these things? Uh, because I think I really needed to understand what he was saying in that, you know, passage of Scripture, right? So, <clears throat> it's important, it's important to, for, for me, I like to know who it is that I'm talking to. Uh, do you ever feel that way? Like, hey, I wonder why they are coming at me with that, right? Or I wonder what they're, uh, I wonder what, why they're using this approach. What do they mean when they use the words that they use? I think that's very important because I think it helps us to understand each other as we're interacting with each, with each other, right? We all have individual, you know, like they may, they may not all be unique uh, you know, ideas or, you know, uh, opinions, but they are individual and they are influenced by some of the things that happen to us during our life. Okay, so we'll go back and we'll just take a look at the first part, not the second part. It says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Okay, so, oh no, yeah, that's terrible. Okay, so, uh, yeah, I had, I worked on it for a while. There was an animation. Okay, so, <laughs> sorry. Um, so, so Peter knows that there is a human nature, Peter's nature, and God's nature. And they are distinct. They're separate. Right? Now, Peter knows that if you rely on your human nature, what happens is that you conform to the corruption of the world because it's caused by evil desires, right? He knows this, right? Okay, so what the slide is supposed to do is it's supposed to show us that faith is what allows us to move a little bit closer to God, okay? But it's God's goodness and his glory that allows us to participate in the divine nature, does that make sense to you? So imagine the red circle coming 
to the uh, yellow circle. And of course, there's an overlap. There's a region of overlap. That region of overlap does a few things. What do you think it does to Peter's nature? It suppresses it, right? Because you cannot participate in the divine nature and still be corrupted, right? You can't do that. So as the, the divine nature takes over our nature, transformation occurs. And it is this that Peter is really trying to express to us. One, you cannot accomplish it unless you recognize God's goodness and God's glory. And it's not just godliness to help you do godly things. I'll show you why Peter clearly understands this. But the, the, the goal of this, really, honestly, if the only thing that you remember from this is that the two circles overlap, okay? And the goal is for God's divine nature to take over our nature completely, right? But you cannot have that. You cannot have that unless you have a faith that it's the goodness and the glory that allows that to happen. All right, okay. So let's see what Paul says about godliness, because I think, you know, his writings are very important to the New Testament. Uh, Paul says, hey, we, we, right, not people corrupted by the world, we can have a form of godliness, but deny its power. Now, I'm going to leave it up to you to search in the Bible to see what that actually means, having a form, denying its power, but it's possible for us. To have faith, to, to seem to take on the form of godliness, right? I think part of it is we, we look God, like we're godly people. We look like we're a people of God. But the divine nature is not suppressing our nature. I think that that's what that means. Okay. Uh, it's a knowledge of the truth that leads us to godliness. Okay? So, if we are not studying God's word, and I think more importantly, taking it as truth. So in other words, it is more important than the messaging that we receive from the world or even from other people, right? If we're counseling each other without the truth, we don't get led to godliness. Okay, we have to pursue godliness, right? It's not something that comes to us we actually have to exert a lot of energy to make sure that we... Now, again, I don't want you to think that I think that this is an effort thing, right? It's not an effort thing. I think that this is God's glory, God's goodness, God's precious promises that allow us the, the, the luxury of being able to call ourselves God's people. Okay, now, this is one thing that I think is really, you know, uh, tough. Train yourself to be godly. Okay, like, you know, uh, preaching is always great on Sundays. Your midweeks are fantastic, right? Discipling partnerships, they're great. 
but train yourself. That is not easy. And I think that I'll, I'll uh, share one incident in Peter's life where I think he really understood this, even though Paul s- states this. I think Peter understands that you have to train yourself. And the rest of it says there's value for this present life and the life to come. Kind of strange that after we pass this life and we go to meet our loving Jesus, that the divine nature is still significant. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, like, we don't just become perfect when we become disciples, and we certainly do not reach perfection when we cross over to the other life. Okay, what kinds of things in our life can be godly? Sorrow can be godly and must be godly. Sincerity must be godly. Okay, so let's go back to Peter. What about Peter's perspective about all of this? Okay, now, remember when I said that, you know, Paul says that we can have a form of godliness. So Peter, in Acts 3, at the very, very beginning, after, you know, Pentecost happens, uh, they go to the temple, right? Uh, They see uh, a beggar who uh, I think was uh, paralyzed or was crippled, crippled, yeah. And so, uh, you know, Peter, you know, he asked him for money, and he said, you know, money we don't have, but, you know, uh, here's what we do have. We have the power to, to uh, we have the power of God, you know, walk. And so, you know, he starts walking, and the people are wondering, like, hey, what's happening? How did you do this? And Peter says, when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power and godliness... We have made this man walk. Okay, is it possible for you and I in our yellow circle to have our own godliness? Well, according to Peter, yeah, yes. It's not easily recognizable, but it kind of fools us, right? What he's saying is, hey, you just saw a miracle. Don't think I did it. Don't assign me the credit. It's glory and goodness, right? But he knows that we, as people of a corrupt, you know, like mindset, uh, sometimes look at each other and see godliness where there is not a sincere and a, an authentic godliness, Right? Okay, so uh, remember when we were talking about Psalms 3 and, you know, like God's people, godly people, or faith, uh, you know, faithful people, they are set apart. Okay? Peter twice in his books says, live holy and godly lives. Now, I think he believes that these two are different. But I think he knows you cannot have one without the other. So in other words, if you have not, if you cannot see yourself as set apart and live a life that is set apart, then it's really difficult and nearly impossible for you to attain a godliness. Hopefully that makes sense. Okay, Uh, this one, I really think, well, this is the one that uh, I think the Spirit was telling me 
is what we need. Second uh, Peter chapter two verse nine says, "If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials." Okay, so remember the rushing waters, uh, the psalm that talked about the rushing waters. Uh, I think that Peter had that on his mind whenever he was on the seas and fishing, and especially when he uh, interacted with Jesus. And, and we'll talk about that. Okay, so the only point is the godly, you and I, if we see ourselves as God's people, if we are set apart, if we're holy, we need rescue. Now, is that something that you think about all the time? I do not. Because my first question is, well, if you're godly, why do you need to be rescued? What's your problem? Are you godly? Right? I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm... Maybe I have a critical mind, but I think, right? Like, if you're being godly, things should be going well for you, right? So, uh, when did Peter need to be rescued? Well, I think the first time that we see Peter needing to be rescued, his conversion, Luke 5, uh, when he's fishing... Large crowds are, travel, you know, like following Jesus. Jesus sees them. Peter and his partners had already gone through a night of fishing. They didn't catch anything. And uh, Jesus says, hey, uh, can you take me out from shore? Right? That's all it was. That's all, that's all that that was. And so I think, you know, Peter, now remember, you know, uh, Jesus had already healed Peter's mother-in-law. And so, you know, Peter, I think, had some obligation to this rabbi who was, you know, walking around. And I think also Peter saw Jesus as a different type of rabbi, right? Okay. So, you know, Jesus on the boat. Uh, they go out. Uh, uh, I, I, you, you probably remember this. You know, he, he says, cast the nets. Peter says, hey, we've been here doing this all night. But because you say so, I'm going to do it. He does it. You know, they catch a large... Uh, you know, uh, they, they, they catch a, a lot of fish. And so um, Peter, um, what Simon Peter saw, saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Okay, so I think it's important when we're talking about Peter needing to be rescued to know why it is that Jesus said, don't be afraid. Right? What are you afraid of, Peter? I think Peter in this moment was afraid to live for the rest of his life in sin. I think that that's, that's what he said. Right? I'm a sinful man. He comes into the presence of who he knows is God. And he's afraid. He's afraid that there will be an accounting for his life. I believe this. So what does he do? He does the natural thing that a person who is godly does. 
he leaves his nets, and he follows. That's it. Right? Now, when I learned about this as a, as a young man, new disciple, I thought, yeah, naturally. You know, like, what's the big deal? You know? Like, for me, I didn't have a lot. So, it's not much to leave my nets. But I think for Peter, it's different. Right? Peter had a business. He had people who were relying on him. And I think what he found was, hey, I only have one real option. If I don't want to live the rest of my life this way, I need to follow him. Right? So that was the first rescue, I think. He had countless rescues. The second rescue uh, was you know, when they were... You know, they were with Jesus. Jesus said, you know, go ahead of me. You know, uh, Jesus stayed behind. Um, they were on the Sea of Galilee. And uh, they go ahead. There's a, you know, there's a storm. You know, there's waves. Uh, it's nighttime. Uh, and uh, uh, suddenly, the disciples see a figure walking. And one of them says, oh, no, it's a ghost, right? Um, and uh, he comes closer. And uh, Peter says, hey, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out. And I'll come to you, right? Now, uh, there's plenty of people on that boat. I don't know why nobody else said this except for Peter. Well, I think that Peter, as a person uh, who strives for godliness, Peter keeps, uh, you know, scriptures in his mind. I think one of those scriptures was that God will save the man from the rushing waters. They'll never reach him. Right? I don't know that that's true. I like thinking that way. Right? Okay. So, Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, came toward Jesus, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Okay, and I think, you know, we've heard plenty of things, plenty of lessons about this. Okay, what do I think Peter needed to be rescued from? I think that Peter, when he saw Jesus, when he thought about the scripture, uh, he was untouchable, right? That, and, and I really, I don't mean untouchable in the sense, you know, in the human sense. What I mean is that the forces of nature... Uh, that, that, you know, gravity, that time, space, like all those things uh, did not apply to his physical, like, form at the time because uh, he was thinking simply about Jesus, about the scriptures. And when he lost track of that, he needed Jesus to save him. He needed Jesus to remind him that this is the most important thing. I think that that's the thing that he needed rescue from. Okay, and then the final thing. So, the final thing is, I think, really, uh, well, probably what I need at this time. I've been a disciple in the church here for 30, yeah, 33, yeah, 33 years. Uh, So, I've gone from a campus student to being a single to... You know, and we've, my wife and I, we've led ministries, uh, large and small. Uh, we've seen a lot. We've been through a lot. Uh, we have 
like you, endured a lot, right? Sometimes uh, because of people around us, godly people, spiritual people, right? That's, it's okay to say, because I think that's what happened with Peter, right? And I think Peter also was someone who caused Jesus, you know, a lot of hardship, right? Okay, so John chapter 21. Jesus has died. He's, he's uh, you know, he was uh, crucified. He's doing his kind of resurrection, like, uh, tour, right? So he's appearing to different people. Okay, so important to note that I'm, I'm just setting up the context, okay? Uh, Peter is not by himself. He's with his partners, sons of Zebedee, and four other disciples. They name them. Peter says, hey, I'm going out to fish. They say, hey, we'll go with you. Okay? Caught nothing all night. Very, very uh, familiar. Uh, they see a man from the shore in the early morning. Friends, haven't you any fish? Throw your net on the right side, right? And, of course, I think this is very reminiscent. I think probably in Peter's mind, he's thinking, oh, I don't recognize who's talking to me, but I recognize the circumstance that I'm in. And, of course, I think at the time, just like when Jesus met him, the temptation was, you know, I own a fishing business. I know what to do. Now, a lot of us, I think, can feel the temptation to think the same way. Why? Because we're just, we're, we're a part of the corrupted world. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just natural for us to have thoughts that are opposite of what Jesus, I mean, that's why he needs to train us, you know. Okay, all right. So, says, throw your nets on the other side. They catch a large number of fish. And and in the Bible, it still doesn't say that Peter knows who this is. He just jumps in the water. Notice he's not walking on the water. Goes toward the shore ahead of the boat. Uh, And I don't know if he swims or if he's just, you know, it says they're 100 meters away. Okay, Uh, they land and they see a fire with fish and bread. Okay, Jesus says, bring some of the fish you have caught. Okay, and then, you know, the Bible gives you account of how many Jesus says, come and have breakfast. No one dared ask, who are you? It says they think they know that it's the Lord. They all, have, they all take bread and fish. Okay, so the interesting thing here, okay, uh, you know, we're not reading, but, but the interesting thing is um, Jesus says, bring the fish, but he doesn't cook any of the fish. He just says, bring the fish. Okay, and I think this is also a lesson to Peter. So I think what happens now is, uh, you know, Peter denied Jesus. It's been a time. Uh, he, he doesn't see his Lord. He's hanging out with his friends. They don't know what to do. He says, I'm going to go fishing. They don't catch anything. Someone tells them to do something ridiculous. He does it. They catch, you know, like they see a miracle. Uh, so they, they have this miraculous catch. Something miraculous happens because he obeyed Jesus, right? So he, you know, like Jesus told him to do something, he did it. Okay, uh, Jesus says, bring the fish, but he doesn't use the fish. 
He doesn't cook the fish. He doesn't give them the fish. Okay. This, I think, is Peter's lesson. Okay. The lesson is uh, your nature, God's divine nature. Even though you saw a miracle when you obeyed me, uh, we cannot, I can't use your good deeds because you need the fish I give you. We can't mix the two. That's what I think, right? Now, the other reason I think that Peter has to, you know, bring the fish, <clears throat> okay, it says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said, take care of my sheep. The third time, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. He said, feed my sheep. Okay. Uh, the way that this hit me, okay, I thought, okay, well... Let me put myself in Peter's shoes and try to think through what he was feeling, think through what he needs, okay, and why he needs to be rescued. Now, you know, the last time he saw Jesus, he denied him three times, right? And then he basically is by himself. Now, he's, you know, maybe with some of the other disciples, and maybe he's talking to them, but he's grieving pretty much on his own. And I think, you know, once, Jesus, you can ask me, and I'll say, you know that I love you. The second time, I'm tempted to feel like, you know, you weren't there when I was struggling, when I was really grieving. Where were you? Why did it take you so long to come to me? Right? And also, like, why ain't you asking these other guys, why are you asking me? Right? You already know that I love you. Why are you putting me through this torture? I don't know if you would feel tortured, but if someone asks you three times and gave you the same answer, like, feed my sheep, what, what, what about them? What, don't they need to feed your sheep? Right? I think the thing that Jesus was trying to help Peter to understand, that he needed rescue from, he says here to us. One, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, meaning uh, when you feel like you have become a godly person, remember that there are increasing amounts of these qualities that help you not to return to the place where you would go if I, if you felt like I didn't go with you. Do you know what I'm saying? So in other words, I think sometimes we want to go back to the places where we draw our power, where our nature is what drives our success not the divine nature. Because the divine nature suppresses, right? It makes us have to submit, right? 
increasing measure. That's the first thing. It will keep you from an ineffective, unproductive, being unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? When is knowledge unproductive? When is it ineffective? Right? I think the lesson also for Peter is, hey, you're not alone. You got people around you. And it's important for you to understand that you, whatever decisions you make, impact them. You want to go fishing? Guess what they did? They went fishing. You know what I'm saying? It's super important for us to remember that the daily decisions that we make, the decisions to worship God, the decisions to uh, not listen, we all have a right not to listen, right? But remember that that makes an impact on somebody else's faith. I think that that is the rescue. That's the thing, whether you're a young Christian or an older Christian, I think the important thing to remember is God wants us to have these qualities in increasing measure. So, this week, and for communion, I'd like to ask you to meditate about this, because I think this also was a revelation for me. In Hebrews chapter 5, it says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obeyed him. Jesus cried tears to the one who could save him. Even Jesus himself recognized that he needed rescue. Amen? I'm going to pray for our uh, communion. Father in heaven, we are so grateful to you that um, uh, you love us as deeply as you do. Grateful for uh, examples like Peter who uh, help us to understand that it's possible for us uh, to become uh, a people um, who resemble you, uh, a people who have qualities uh, that you desire, that you're pleased by. Um, Father, I really pray that as um, a family, um, as uh, a spiritual community, uh, that we would... Uh, be committed to helping each other uh, to grow uh, in this area. And I pray that you help us uh, not to misunderstand your scripture, uh, but to uh, really develop a a true sense uh, of worship. Um, We love you so much. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins. Thank you for uh, providing a way for us uh, towards salvation. We pray all these things in your son's name.